All right, and the rest of us, uh, we are continuing in our series through the book of Ephesians. We've been talking about marriage for the last couple of weeks, and uh, we're going to continue today. It'll be our last one on marriage. Last few weeks, we've been very uh, heavy on the theological end of marriage, and today we're going to go to the very other end and be very practical. So it's going to be very practical for our marriages in this room. And if you're not married, then a lot of the stuff we talk about today uh, really uh, works well in uh, a variety of relationships, including parenting and friendships and those kinds of uh, issues. We um, ended off last week talking about mutual service and sacrifice. We spent a couple weeks talking about some of those difficult marriage texts and how theologically we can look at them in different ways. Uh, But in the end, no matter what your view of marriage is, we ended up with this conclusion that every marriage, uh, no matter what your theological view of marriage is, that there needs to be mutual service and sacrifice. Uh, There needs to be this mutual service and sacrifice towards each other. There is no room in marriage for any kind of Gentile or pagan head. If you remember, we talked about that. We talked about this text in Mark chapter 10. And this is when James and John were, uh, went up to Jesus and said, Hey, uh, could we get a couple of really cool seats, you know, when you set up your kingdom really close? In other words, they wanted power. And this is kind of the way our world operates. Uh, we all want power. We want to be in charge. We want to boss other people around. We want to have, have people serve us. And so and said, when the other ten disciples heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. And so this idea of being able to lord it over everybody else and everybody serves me and I'm in charge and I'm the boss, like that kind of thinking in marriage doesn't have a place in the kingdom. Instead, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life Uh, to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is the heart of marriage when a husband and wife learn to mutually serve and sacrifice towards one another. And today's message really is a big application of this. How can we serve each other? And one really important thing as we talk through this message today, and, and you will be very tempted to do this, but as soon as you're tempted to do this, just stop and don't do this. And that is, you'll be tempted to listen to this message for your spouse. Uh, wow, if my husband just did that, that'd be awesome. Or man, my husband needs to hear this or my wife needs to hear this. You know, uh, you'll be really tempted to do that, but don't do this because this is about how you can serve your spouse, not about what you're not getting or if they just did this better or whatever. This is talking about how you can serve your spouse. Our text today uh, is Ephesians chapter 533. It says this, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself And the wife must respect her husband. So Paul says, husbands, you need to love your wives. And he says, wives, you need to respect your husband. Now, sometimes people ask, well, that's kind of weird because you might say, well, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I want love and respect. And everybody does, it's true. Uh, Every spouse wants both love and respect. But Paul here is acknowledging that there are differences 
between men and women. Now, we argued over the last couple of weeks for mutual submission and, and, uh, and, and this equality in marriage. Uh, but even if you don't agree with that, there's mutual service and sacrifice. We talked about that. But the reality is men and women are different. Biologically, they're different. Emotionally, they're different. And they're different in this way that wives tend to want to be loved more than respected. And husbands tend to want to be respected more than loved. Now, both are important, of course. In fact, they've done studies where they've asked uh, groups of men, uh, would you rather live the rest of your life being respected but not loved or loved and not respected? And almost all men say they would rather be respected and not loved. Uh, but we all want both. But these are, these are differences. Men and women are different. And we're going to talk about how in a marriage, husbands tend to have different needs than wives and wives tend to have different needs than husbands. And this is really, really important if you want to serve your spouse well. Because what we naturally tend to do is we tend to love our spouse in the way we like to be loved. But your wife may need to be loved in a different way. And we're going to show just a funny little video here from uh, Laughter Way to a Better Marriage. Some of you have seen it. We've done that before. That series in our church. Uh, talking about the differences between men and women.
The whole series actually is on YouTube now, so you can uh, just type in Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. The whole series is on there. Uh, but the point is, men and women are different. And so if we are going to serve our spouse, then we need to understand how to serve them best. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, which uh, Kathy actually read this morning, it says, In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. In other words, again, our tendency is to love our spouse the way we want to be loved. Uh, but often husbands and wives are different, and they have different needs and different interests. And it's very important to understand what your husband or what your wife or your friend or your kids, uh, what makes them uh, click. It's similar to the idea of love languages. I think I put them up here. There are five different love languages. Uh, many of you have heard of love languages. Uh, that each person has one or two sort of main love language. And they can be words of affirmation, quality time, Receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Now, often in a marriage, a husband and wife will have different love languages. And what happens is that you will usually try to love your spouse with the same love language you have. And so if, say, a husband has physical touch and a wife maybe has uh, quality time, uh, a husband might be trying to love his wife by touching her all the time and thinking he's working really hard trying to, to love his spouse, but it's not really connecting with her very well because that's not her love language. Uh, and so to love each other well, you need to understand how you are different. You need to understand what your love language is. Jesus again said, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that we are actually to consider the needs of other people. And if that's true, how much more of our spouse that we need to consider what their needs are, and our job is to serve those needs, to put them and their interests ahead of our own and to serve them well. Now, uh, Dr. Willard Harley uh, wrote a book called His Needs, Her Needs. I'm getting a lot of information uh, for this message from this book because I, I think his concept works really, really well, and it's a completely biblical concept of serving your spouse according to their needs. Uh, he's written a number of books, but here are two of his most famous. Um, if you haven't read these books, you should. Uh, but he, uh, he had a PhD, still does, in, in, uh, in psychology and counseling, and he was trying to help people who were married. He's a Christian, follows Jesus, and he found in his counseling that he was not having a lot of success. He would counsel people, and they would still get divorced. He would counsel people, they would get happy for a little bit, and then they'd be miserable. And, uh, and so he thought, well, maybe I just need more training. So he went, and he took more schooling because he wanted to help marriages and help marriages become successful and not crash. And as he was doing this training, he realized that often the teachers who were teaching these courses had bad marriages themselves. Uh, some of them were being divorced. Or, and he was like, what is going on? So he decided... He was going to do some of his own research and do his own study to find out uh, how he could help couples. And as he began to study and research, he found something crazy. Uh, the crazy thing he found was that couples that were in love with each other never thought about divorce. Couples that were, and he uses the term, romantically in love with each other never got divorced. Now, you think that's 
some rocket science, but it is rocket science in the terms of how he worked this out, that he just said there's, he never saw a couple who was romantically in love ever want a divorce. He saw lots of couples who cared for each other end up in divorce. He saw lots of couples who, you know, we just got to stick it out and we got to commit because that's the right thing to do. He saw lo- lots of those people end up in divorce or just living, living unhappy for the rest of their lives together in some sort of marriage that they're living separate lives. He saw lots of that. But when he saw couples who were romantically in love, he said, not once has he ever seen a couple divorce who was romantically in love. So then he began to ask the question, why were some couples romantically in love and other couples not? Because he found this not only in new couples, but people who had been married 40, 50 years sometimes were still infatuated with each other and romantically in love. So it wasn't about time. It's a myth, by the way. This idea that you fall in love with somebody and you get romantically in love and then you get married and then you kind of fall and then there's no more romantic love ever again. That's a myth. I mean, Marie and I have been together for uh, 25 years and man, we're still totally passionate for each other romantically in love. Uh, I know a couple, I mean, Sophia and Leonard, Sophia's mom and dad, um, they're, they're up there, uh, but they are romantically in love when you see them together. It's a myth that you can fall out of romantic love. So he asked the question, how can we help couples to reach this place of romantic love in their marriages? Therefore, they would just never consider a divorce. And he came up with two different concepts. Uh, The first concept is the idea of the love bank. And the love bank idea is that all of us have a little bank. uh, And when someone does something nice to us, they put deposits into our love bank. Uh, so someone says something nice to us, or they help us, or they serve us. They put a certain amount amount into a love bank. Now, when some, someone does something that's not nice to you, they take withdrawals out of your love bank. And if it's really not nice, then it all just goes away, and you never want to see them again. Uh, so he found that when couples are dating, they are putting in money into each other's accounts, adding accounts. And usually when you're dating, you're trying really, really hard right? Not to mess up. Really hard not to take withdrawals. You want to just put lots of withdrawals in. And there reaches a place when, whatever the number is, say it's, say it's a thousand love units, that's when you actually fall romantically in love with somebody. When a lot of your experiences with this person are very positive, they've served you, they've filled up your love bank, and it's nice and full. This is romantic love when you reach this kind of threshold of whatever it may, say it's a thousand. That's romantic love. And marriages who've been married for a long time that have love banks that are full remain in romantic love. When each couple has a love bank that's over this 1,000 or whatever it might be, they remain in romantic love. But a lot of relationships don't. Because what happens, they're romantically in love. I mean, I've performed, uh, I don't know, well over 50 weddings, maybe 60, 70 weddings. And I've never met a couple once that are like, you know, we're doing this in the hopes that one day we're going to get divorced. You know, uh, we, we don't want to get married, but we really just aren't romantically in love with each other. I mean, everybody who gets married, they're infatuated. Their, their love banks are full. But what happens over years? I think the shortest marriage I did, I married a couple, and it didn't even last a year. Um, uh, it was a cool wedding. We did it at the top of Whitewater, and it was awesome, but I don't know, it didn't last. <laughs> hey, uh, but what happens is, when a couple gets together... Uh, often what happens is they stop 
putting in uh, love units, and there's slowly over years withdrawals of more withdrawals and deposits, and then maybe every once in a while there's a deposit, and then there's major withdrawals. Sometimes there's uh, big issues, like maybe there's an affair, takes a lot out, or husband's caught looking at pornography is a big one, or there's addiction or whatever, and all of a sudden the love bank is very empty and no longer that couple is in romantic love. Now he found that even couples that are together, that where their love bank is really, really low, that he, by teaching this idea of his needs, her needs, were able to actually bring couples back into this place where their love banks were full and again to be infatuated with each other. And so if you're married here and you're not infatuated with each other and you're not passionately in love and you don't have romantic love, I tell you, you can get back there. Uh, through the idea of the love bank. Now, uh, he says this. The best way to make those deposits is to meet each other's most important emotional needs. It's the idea of serving each other, considering the other person's interest. Uh, What is an emotional need? It is a craving that, when satisfied, leaves you with a feeling of happiness and contentment. And when unsatisfied, leaves you with a feeling of unhappiness and frustration. There are probably thousands of emotional needs, but not all emotional needs are created equally. When some are met, you may only feel comfortable. They make small love bank deposits. There are others, however, that can make you feel downright euphoric. In fact, they make you so happy that you're likely to fall in love with the person that meets them. I call those our most important emotional needs because they make the largest love bank Uh, bank deposits of all. Now again, there can be thousands of of emotional needs, but through his research and study, he found that there are 10, um, 10 of them that are highlighted through the average married relationship. There are 10 emotional needs which are really, really, really important. And these are them. Affection, sexual fulfillment, intimate conversation, recreational companionship, honesty and openness, physical attractiveness, financial support, domestic support, family commitment, and uh, admiration. We're going to talk about these in more detail in a moment. But the point is this, that if if some of these are your big emotional needs, when they are met by whoever meets them, it is a huge, huge deposit. When you have a high emotional need in one of these areas and it's not met, it becomes a huge, huge withdrawal. And this is what he found, that the biggest deposits... And the biggest withdrawals when it comes to the love bank have to do whether a spouse is serving that emotional need or not serving that emotional need. Now we'll talk more about that in a moment. There are some other uh, things that he found in his research that are withdrawals besides emotional needs. If you have enough, enough withdrawals, you end up like this, right? If you were my husband, I'd poison your coffee. If you were my wife, I'd drink it, you know? Uh, <laughs> Perhaps you know couples who have gotten there. (laughs) Uh, But here's some of the things he found. Uh, And these things often, because again, you can have a love bank that is, you can kill a person in two ways, they say. You can shoot them quick, or you can kill them very slowly. Marriages are the same. Sometimes a marriage will have a huge explosion, and all the love bank gets emptied out right away. Other marriages, year after year, because of small little things, You can kill a marriage very, very slowly when there's lots of withdrawals and not enough deposits. These are some of the things he found that can be very slow withdrawals. Angry outbursts. 
is getting frustrated and angry and losing your temper, those withdraw from your spouse's bank account. And it can be just year after year after year, just you're, you're taking out of the love bank, judgmental, disrespectful judgments, criticisms, controlling behavior, whatever it might be, uh, just, just judge, judging them, thinking you know what they're thinking. These things withdraw. And knowing behavior, I mean, when your spouse says, I find that annoying. But don't just brush that off because it's actually, you're taking love units out of their account if it's annoying to you. And if you want to serve your spouse well, you should stop. Selfish demands, that is making decisions and you don't even care what your spouse thinks. Or you've made a decision and you just go make it anyways. It doesn't matter what your spouse, just you're being selfish. Uh, you think about yourself, dishonesty is a big one, lying, hiding things from your spouse. These are things that can take withdrawals from your love bank. Now, but we want to talk about those things that put the biggest deposits into your love bank within a marriage. These are the things that either cause a marriage to have romantic love or just, you know, we're just going to go through this marriage because we're committed or whatever it might be. Now again, men and women are different. Here's what he found in his research. That the top five emotional needs of a man are actually completely different than the top five emotional needs of a woman. Now, I need to say that these are just the average. This is the average husband and the average wife. This may not be exactly you, but this is the average husband and the average wife. But again, notice, these lists are completely different. And I want to remind you that we often want to serve our spouse with our love language, or we often serve our spouse through our own emotional needs. And here's why a lot of marriages have very empty love banks. Because they're trying to serve each other, and they're missing each other's love banks. They don't understand what their spouse's greatest emotional need is. They just think they know, or they just assume it's the same as theirs, which is probably not. Do you know what your spouse's top emotional needs are? Because when you are meeting your spouse's top emotional needs, this is what brings a marriage to a place it fills up a love. And this is what he found. Marriages where couples are meeting their top emotional needs are marriages where love banks are full. And they're in this place of romantic love. And so he just basically said, you have a choice. If you want your marriage to thrive, if you want your marriage to be filled with romantic love, then do as Christ says. Consider the interests of that person. Put them ahead of you and you serve them in their greatest emotional needs and it'll just happen to cause your marriage to be fun and exciting and filled with romantic love. If you don't want your marriage to be filled with romantic love, then just don't consider your spouse's greatest emotional needs. It's easy. Go the opposite way. Again, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests. Put each of you to the interests of others. Most likely, your list is not the same as your spouse's list. And if you're missing each other, you will not find romantic love in your marriage. So let's look at these. Uh, the first one is affection. This, for the average woman, is the top emotional need for most wives. It's affection. More than anything else, their greatest emotional need is to feel that their husband is giving them lots of affection. This is a craving to realize non uh, to receive non-sexual expressions of care symbolizing security, protection, and comfort, which may include words, cards, gifts, hugs, kisses, 
courtesies, a phone call to see how you're doing in the middle of the day, whatever it might be. But most women want affection more than anything else. And guess what? On most men, it's not even on their list of their top five. It's somewhere in there because all men want this too, but it's not on the top five, which means that most men don't naturally do this, which means sometimes wives have a love bank that's not as full. Now you go to the man, the top for the average husband is this, uh, sexual fulfillment, a craving to engage in an enjoyable sexual experience. That this is, for the average husband, the number one emotional need, as he found in his research. Now, you got to be careful, because you see this on sitcoms all the time, where men and women or husbands and wives will make fun of each other's, kind of, their greatest needs. Yeah. Notice this? Often wives and sitcoms are making fun. Oh, my husband always wants sex, and he just thinks about sex all the time. And, oh, it's so silly, it's so dumb. They make fun of it, and vice versa. You know how men, oh, my wife's so emotional. I mean, we just get a brain. She's just more practical. I mean, they make fun of these two. That is a real quick way to empty out the love bank. Because you're taking someone's most dire emotional need and you're trampling on it. Uh, so for the average man, the average uh, wife, these are the top emotional needs. Now, in your bulletin, I put an assessment uh, that you can take and find out what your top emotional needs are. And if you're married, make sure you get one of those. Both of you fill it out. Because it may not be this. Uh, you want to be very honest with it. Uh, you don't want to lie. Uh, you don't want to base your assessment on what you're currently not getting, but on what actually is your greatest emotional need. Both of you fill that out and share it with each other. Because if your spouse does not know what your greatest emotional need is, they can't meet it. And so if it's a great emotional need for you, don't hide it. Don't pretend it's not there. Share it with them so they can actually, in a Christ-like way, consider your needs above their own, as it says in Philippians. Now, the second greatest one for women is intimate conversation. And this is a craving to share feelings, personal experiences, topics of personal interest, opinions, and plans with another person. Again, this is number two on most women's list. And for most men, this is, this is a hard one. Because most men aren't big talkers. I mean, there's some who are, but uh, a lot of men, you know, like, just don't ever talk a lot, especially about their feelings kind of things. If you grew up in a family like mine where there was not a lot of talk about feelings, this is something I've really had to work on it, and I'm still not the best at it, but I'm growing. But if this is a top emotional need for your spouse, then you need to grow in this area. Uh, you can learn how to be a better, better conversationalist. Uh, you can, there's videos on YouTube that teach you how to do it. You can just ask questions or whatever it might be. You need to risk, as we talked about in the friendship sermon, you need to learn how to risk and be courageous with things that are vulnerable in your life so you can actually share. But if this is important, then husbands, you need to do your best at serving your spouse in, in, this, in this area. Uh, Number two for most, the average man, man is actually recreational companionship. This is why men are often trying to invite their wives out to, you know, watch the game with them or, hey, let's go on somewhere or let's do this or let's go, you know, the gym or something. This is number two for most men. Um, recreational companionship. And uh, so sometimes you just need to find out what you can do together. Because uh, there are sometimes some things the husband does that the wife really does not like to do. Uh, I mean, I took Maria on a quad trip this, this summer, and man, I loved it. It was one of the best things ever, but it, she was one of her worst days of the summer because it was just bumpy the whole way. I mean, not the best thing we can do together, right? You want to try to find things you can do thing. 
But here's the deal with these top four. These top four are so important that do you realize that almost every affair that happens in a marriage has to do with these four? Has to do with one of these four not being met between a husband and wife. Someone else comes in and begins to meet that emotional need and then there's an affair. Here's what happens. Someone's love bank, full of marriage, slowly dwindles down. Their emotional need is not being met. Maybe they're, they're, they're still kind of in love. They still care for each other, but it's low. And then there's someone at work. The wife's not getting a lot of affection from her husband because he's too busy. He has time to get his emotional need met, but no time for hers. Uh, he's busy all the time. She's at work, and there's this guy there who is very affectionate towards her, saying nice things. Wow, you look great today. Uh, wow, your husband must be so lucky. You know, and, and maybe after a year, all of a sudden, this love bank gets filled up. And this woman, without realizing, is, finds herself romantically in love with this man. How did I get there? <laughs> because this husband, this, 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 not husband, but this guy has been deposited into her love bank and she finds him, herself romantically in love. Because that need was not being met by her husband, but was being met by someone else. Uh, it can happen with sexual fulfillment. Man's, m- most men's greatest emotional need is not being met, uh, so he turns to pornography uh, to fill his emotional needs, or sometimes it could be a physical affair. Intimate conversation, big for women. My husband never talks. My, my love bank is empty. Uh, he doesn't share with me. And then, again, I don't know where, but there's someone that starts talking to her and start, they start sharing intimate stuff and their struggles, maybe at the workplace, and all of a sudden, she finds herself romantically in love with that person. Because her greatest emotional need, or one of her big emotional needs that puts the greatest deposits into her love bank, all of a sudden gets full. This can happen for men and women with recreational companionship. Uh, maybe a guy is going to the gym, and he begins to work out with, with another woman. And it's a great emotional need for him to recreate with, with his wife, but his wife doesn't, is not interested in anything he's doing. And so, after a while, his love bank gets full. And so when you're married, you need to be really careful about protecting these four things. You need to be really careful about protecting these four things. And if these, and these might not be your top two. Again, everybody's different. But for the average man, every woman, you need to really know what your spouse's emotional needs are and you need to work hard at meeting them. Whatever your spouse's top two or three emotional needs are, you as a spouse should become an expert in learning how you can serve your husband or wife in those areas. If you want a marriage that is filled with romantic love and is fun and thriving, this is the way the research says it happens. This is all biblical teaching in terms of being able to become selfless and being able to serve someone else to bless them and to lift them up and to honor them by serving their greatest emotional needs. Now here's some other ones that are important. Uh, honesty and openness. This is a craving to receive truthful and frank information from someone about positive and negative feelings, events of the past, daily events and schedule, and plans for the future, not leaving a false impression. For some people, having a spouse that is honest and open is really important. And if they're not open and they're not honest, it can take huge withdrawals from their love bank. Uh, Physical attractiveness is a high one on most men's list. This is a craving to observe someone whose physical appearance is 
aesthetically and or sexually pleasing to you. Now, he gets in a lot of trouble for this one. <laughs> because we're living in a super political correct world, right? And this kind of not political correct thing. But he basically says, look, this is just coming out of the research. Whether you like it or not, for most men, this is on their list. And if you want to have a marriage that is filled with the most romantic love possible, then wives need to pay attention to this. It doesn't mean you need to be a beauty queen. It doesn't mean you got to be amazing. Because usually when a husband and wife get married, he thinks you're attractive. Uh, but this is saying, be aware of this. Uh, be aware of how you dress. If you buy clothes, you should ask your husband, do you like these? Or, uh, and it can be vice versa. I know, I mean, I don't really care about my hair much. I mean, I'd have a buzz cut, cut, if, cut if I wasn't married. But Marie usually says it's time to get a haircut or, you know, grow it out or whatever it might be. But this can go the other way around as well. Uh, men can, uh, women can be quite sensitive about uh, issues around physical attractiveness of men, especially smells. Women have a keen sense of smell. Uh, I've been learning lately that I got to stay away from onions because when I eat onions, it, it kind of takes a few things out of the love bank, you know. Uh, <laughs> I like onions, but I got to be careful with onions. But hey, if I want to keep my spouse's love bank full, then these are little things you need to be aware of. If you don't care about having romantic love in your marriage, just ignore them, right? But that's not the right thing to do. Uh, financial support is big for a lot of women. This is a craving to receive help with financial resources to house, feed, and clothe uh, family. And so this can be an important thing. It doesn't mean, again, that your husband needs to have a, a super job, but that he is somewhat providing financially. It can be actually really difficult on a lot of marriages when a husband lose, loses a job. Big harder than both. But it can be hard because all of a sudden, one of the wife's emotional needs is not being, uh, being met. Domestic support is a big one for um, husbands, some husbands anyways. A craving to receive help with household tasks and care for the children, if there are any at home. Uh, family commitment is high on most women's list. This is a, a craving to receive help with the moral and educational development of your children within the family unit. And finally, admiration is high on the husband's list as well, a craving to be shown respect, value, and appreciation. And so, again, take that assessment home. Um, if you don't, we can copy more. But uh, you really need to know what your spouse's top emotional needs are. Hope you can see why it's important. You can't just guess, because <laughs> sometimes you might just be guessing wrong. Again, you will tend to love your spouse the way you want to be loved, you will tend to love your spouse through your own love language. You tend to love your spouse through your own emotional need. But if you do that, you can completely miss your spouse's top emotional needs. Sometimes you'll see this in a marriage. One spouse says, I am so romantically in love uh, with my wife. Uh, we got the best marriage. It's great. I'm so romantically in love. And the wife is like, I want a divorce. Yeah. <laughs> How can you have that happen? <laughs> it's because she... Re, whether she's realized it or not, is meeting his emotional needs, but he is not hers. Sometimes you get this with the love languages. One spouse, their love language is being met, but the other one isn't, so one person is happy, the other's not. Do you know what your spouse's top emotional needs are? Figure out what your top two or three are, share them, and then become an expert in serving your spouse in that area. And this is how romantic love is actually built in relationships. And if it's not there, it's just funny. It might be low right now in your marriage, but you just start making deposits and you do everything you can not to make withdrawals. Again, the fastest way to make withdrawals 
You don't meet that emotional need. The fastest way to make with uh, deposits is to meet those emotional needs. I think we got uh, one more verse here. Uh, so this is that I guess I already talked about. You, your marriage can spiral up, meet the needs, spiral down, don't meet your spouse's emotional needs. That was the point of that circle. <laughs> Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the example again. Christ dying for his church, giving up his life to meet the needs of his bride. This is what Jesus did. He gave up his rights. He came down to die on the cross to meet the needs of you and I. Some of our greatest needs are met in Jesus Christ. That we are separated from God. Jesus came to bring us back to God. Our greatest need is for forgiveness. Jesus came to forgive us. Our greatest need is to be rescued from the dominion of darkness and sin and Satan. Jesus came to meet those needs. He didn't have to, but he did. And the Bible is saying, I want you as a husband or wife to do the same thing in marriage. And last verse is this one. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is where we began. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for him. What do we do? What, what are some ways that we can repay God for all he has done? He has served me. He has met my most important needs in terms of spiritual needs and so many other. How can I repay you? You know what God will say? One of the ways is, out of reverence for me, he says, is for you to serve your spouse. One of the ways you can repay me is for you to meet the emotional needs of your spouse. And I tell you, you will be blessed your spouse will be blessed and your marriage will be blessed because you can move a marriage from a place where it's difficult or you're just hanging in there to a place where there is romantic love when you begin to meet each other's needs. So don't be a pagan head. Be a kingdom head where you put your spouse ahead of yourself.